Welcome back to another episode of Cyber Tangent. I'm your host, Ryan Williams, and today I'm joined by Daniel Hooper, who is currently the Global Information Security Officer for PIMCO. So, Daniel, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much, Ryan. So our topic today is around managing the abundance of new technology in cyber. Uh, hot topic, a lot of vendors out there. And personally, I thought you'd actually be a perfect person to talk about this with because I know you've been on both the vendor side from some of the consulting stuff you've done in the past, as well as on the client side now that you're at PIMCO. And I was recently reading that the average enterprise CISO has over 80 different security vendors that they work with. And managing all those tools, I have to imagine, has to be a very difficult or can be a big challenge. What have you found or what, what do you think is the main thing that makes it so difficult managing that many different technology and, and vendors out there? Yeah, I'm surprised the average is around 80, actually. But I guess when you add up things like you know, perimeter devices with firewalls, intrusion detection systems, all the way down to antivirus solutions and things like that, the number does add up now that I'm thinking more about it. Then I think part of what makes it really difficult is just the number of different point solutions that are out there. You, know, you need a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you've got to piece these things together. And then the pace of change, the the vendors have antivirus vendors that are doing more enterprise detection and response, and you have the more traditional response guys that are getting into the antivirus game now. So, you know, they're becoming more Swiss Army knife tools. There's consolidation of vendors buying other solutions from other vendors, et cetera. And so you barely have the time, but it's only get something operational and up and running. There's new features and functionalities and changes. Totally. And uh, you mentioned innovation, and I, I don't know what the latest count is, but I think there's probably over 1,500 different cybersecurity vendors in the marketplace now. And you can definitely tell that for sure when you walk the show floor of RSA or Black Hat, anything like that. It's just, it's just overwhelming now with how many people are out there and some startups are in the back corner in an alleyway, it feels like. So for on the vendor side, it mm-hmm. can be hard to get noticed, right, at, from times. And on the client side, it's how do you manage all that noise, right? I mean, ha- do you have any tips for what's worked for you to figure out what products are worth looking out there and, and, and bring it on board versus what I just, I just can't get through all of them, but maybe I'm missing something that could really help me. I mean, how do you try to manage all, all the noise of the vendors out there? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, I get the forced market research with, I've got probably 70 unlistened to voicemails on my work phone at the moment. And they just call Pimco and ask to speak to me. So it's a bit ridiculous that uh, I think the day that I changed my LinkedIn profile to say that I was working at Pimco, it's just a flood of emails, contacts, invites, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, there's definitely that uh, one-way drinking from the fire hose as, as a CISO, but getting through all of that noise can be a bit of a challenge. I try and encourage the team to do some homework, you know, take some time out of their busy days to entertain the occasional phone call with folks, you know, just spend 15 minutes trying to get to know a vendor, ask them nicely not to bug you mercilessly with the invitations for dinners and things afterwards, but getting people outside of the security team to do some research too. So DevOps guys, cloud guys, application developers, system administrators, that sort of stuff. Security's in everybody's best interest. So trying to get those guys excited about new solutions, potentially ways to make their job easier, things like that as well. And also talking to peers is really good. Research companies can be helpful too, but it's good to hear from the people that are digging trenches along with us and and they're learning just as quickly as we're trying to learn as well. Yeah. Now, you brought up a good point with looking at peers, and it's actually one of the questions I was thinking about as well, is to you as as the CISO or the one typically tasked with buying products or bringing good technology to the table to as part of the budget meetings, 
Do you find that the source of where the information is coming from has a bigger impact for whether or not you're going to end up buying that tool? I guess what I mean by that is whether it comes from the vendor cold calling you or reaching out and that kind of thing versus a peer telling you, hey, this is a good product and maybe you should check it out or you're reading about it in the media or maybe there's an analyst from Gartner or you know one of the industry experts telling you, hey, these are things you should be checking out. I assume you're looking at all across the board, but is, is there one that you use to better prioritize or that it has more meaning or, or weight for you? I think the peers piece is, is definitely interesting. The only challenge with that is not everyone's the same, right? At the end of the day, you got to figure out what works in your environment. I think knowing having a trusted peer that's had some good success with a particular product definitely goes a long way. Seeing where something's rated in, in like a Ghana Magic Quadrant or something like that, if you like to look at those things, they can be a really good starting point. But I find you quite often just need to get this thing into whatever it is, into your environment, kick the tires a little bit, do a POC, carve out that time to do that. I think as a starting point, if I'm looking at a new technology or, or recognized a new need within the business, maybe around an emerging technology area or something like that, I think having the research available, having the peer connection is, is definitely important. Where I'd put it on the priority list, I'd probably start with the peers because that's more of a known quantity, followed by some research and then and then really get into the nuts and bolts, you know, try and shortlist some potential solutions, some good fit have a couple of sales calls, give feedback to the product vendors pretty quickly just to let them know that this really isn't going to be a good fit. Thanks very much, great product, but not for us. Or move forward with the ones that are actually a good fit down to that short list and build up your requirements from there. Yeah, I think for me, selfishly being on the vendor side, any kind of feedback from from a potential prospect or client is always valuable, right? Good or bad, right? Just like you said, nope, not a good fit. At least you can take a no and both people can move on rather than trying to be a a pest in someone's inbox. Mm-hmm. Well, on the same side, right? One of the one of the questions I guess that piques my curiosity is I would agree with you. If one of my friends says, This is a good product, check it out, then I'm gonna trust that more than someone reaching out, out out of the blue. What's the best way that you have found connecting with those peers? Is it you go to different events or do you guys meet up for dinners once a month, once a quarter and share war stories of which products are well and which salespeople were not good or what, what's the best way you guys kind of kind of connect with each other? Yeah, it's funny, actually, as I talk to peers, you know, I either try and reach out to people on LinkedIn. I often ask vendors who are coming in to do pitches or their existing vendors who else they're working with in my area. So Southern California down here where Kimco's office in Newport Beach, we have a few other reasonable-sized financial services firms around us and, and other companies as well. So I always try and find out, you know, who are the folks in the local area? If I don't already know them, try and get to know them, reach out to them on LinkedIn, make those connections. I think a lot of people tend to be a little bit hesitant to go to vendor-sponsored events as such, the the dinners or the golf outings or whatever. I mean, they must work because I keep getting invites for them. I'd rather go to something where there's not a lot of vendors. Sorry, Ryan, no offense. But where I can have the chance to have a good, unbiased conversation with someone. Like, sure, I'll I'll sit through the the first 15 minutes if there's a, a particular pitch and stuff, but then make it be honest about that upfront kind of thing. I think I really like the couple of dinners I've gone to where they'll say, we're going to do the first 15 minutes, it's going to be a pitch, and then it's just open dialogue from their networking session. Basically, that's it. So I can say, okay, well, that actually sounds interesting. I'm not just going to sit there and get bombarded by PowerPoints for an hour and then have five minutes to catch people at the end. So obviously, you know the name of our podcast is Cyber Tangent. So quick little tangent to take us on right now. 
what do you see as being the future cyber tech or tools that you get most excited about? That you you may whether you want to plug a, a product or not, feel free to. But what, what do you think is coming that you're you're getting really excited about on the tools side of things? So I think you know, some of the new developments around cloud are super interesting. I think uh, talking to peers of mine, talking to vendors of ours outside of technology vendors, even just business vendors and things, everyone has a cloud journey that they're going on at the moment. I think looking at a few of the earlier stage startups in the space, like CloudNox, which is really interesting, like Fortnox, but CloudNox, you know, super interesting identity governance platform, looking at encryption on the fly technologies around things like Baffle, another little company that's, that's, that's really coming up. That sort of cutting edge, cloud first type of organizations are great. The only problem I find with some of this stuff, though, is when I look at PIMCO, you know, we're, we're beginning on our cloud journey, but we still have a bunch of what you call legacy technology kind of thing that, that sits in traditional data centers and things. So what I get really interested about is where I can do some cool, innovative stuff on one hand, but that also applies across the rest of my environment. So it's more building an ecosystem of tools rather than just a point solution for the cloud and a point solution for the traditional data center environment. I think being able to drive that consistency across different platforms, different environments, et cetera. And that's, I think the cloud Knox guys are doing a good job with that. They're doing the cloud plus the, the vCenter and you know, more VMware, more traditional infrastructure, which is great. Companies like Kenna Security as well that are becoming more of that ecosystem rather than just a point solution. I think that's really interesting too. And obviously with all of that, right, any time you bring on new technology, there's plenty of value it brings, but there's also a lot of change that that's going to bring, right? Mm-hmm. And I can see you being a CISO, sometimes I would say, look, we've been doing it a certain way for the last 10 years, or and, and we got to go another direction now, though, right? And that sometimes for the mm-hmm. business stakeholders can be hard to stomach or something that they don't want to stomach because it probably means more money or more headaches or more hiring and can be can be difficult to convey the value in change management versus the obviously the benefit you're going to get once you've completed it. How have you handled that? Whether it's at PIMCO or just in the past in general, how have you handled that communication of, of why you should change and primarily because you're taking on new technology to do that change? Yeah, I think it's difficult. You've got to start with focusing on the benefits for sure. I think you know, new technology coming into the environment just adds complexity. So is there a way that we can make life easier, automate something, get better performance, you know, drive consistency, drive better business decisions, and you know, giving the heads of the business better information to be able to operate in a new environment in a safer way or potentially maybe avoid a particular risk because they've now got better data to make a good decision out of that. So while security can be expensive, absolutely, all this different stuff we talk about, the 80-odd different vendors for security in, in an average company, that comes with a cost. Then I try and focus on the benefits of what's the incremental benefit making this little investment going to get us? What can we save if we do this? Does it mean we don't have to hire another three people or does it automate a job and I can repurpose some folks? Or is it just another layer of defense that we need to meet a growing threat? Yeah, I think you actually touched on it a little bit earlier where you said that security is throughout the whole business, right? It's it's relevant to their jobs. It's relevant to every single person, even if you don't have a security or IT title. So do you find yourself mm-hmm. having to go to different stakeholders within the business to get them either as part of the review process to do the onboarding and say, hey, here's the value. So before you get to just write me a check, they're kind of already a part of the process and the due diligence. Or do you find yourself always going to only kind of one department because they that's who you work with, whether it be procurement or CFO, and it's, it's just a budget conversation. 
No, definitely getting the buy-in across multiple stakeholders and getting people to see the value. I always find it fascinating to talk to folks, talk to a a compliance officer versus an operations officer versus a technology officer or or a CFO. They've definitely got their own kind of thoughts and and opinions on this. So, so Daniel, how would... If it's even possible, I don't know. I mean, we're using technology to try to automate a lot of security processes. Can we use automation to help with the the due diligence of onboarding and evaluating new tools? And if so, how have you seen it be applied, whether that PIMCO or even just in the industry in general? I think there's so many interesting applications for automation, AI, machine learning, all these great emerging technologies and things. At the moment, some of the security automation stuff is much more focused on the operational side, not so much on the, I don't want to call it due diligence or, or sort of testing side, if you will, but automated testing, pick some particular scenarios or events or chain of events or something like that, throw that at a, at a suite of products and see how they respond. I think historically people have done that pretty well with antivirus type technologies. They just throw a bunch of samples at it and, and see which ones get the best detection rates. Not sure if those tests are as relevant anymore with the rise of things like virus total, et cetera. I'd, I'd love to see some, some examples of some of that automated testing, but I think part of the problem is a lot of these tools and these products and, and these solutions and things are ever so slightly different than each other. It can make it a little challenge to run sort of automated tests, which tend to be fairly one-dimensional kind of thing. Plus, the, add that with the wrinkle of the rest of the ecosystem I talked about earlier in the environment as well, I think. A lot of vendor products out there, you know, they, they come with integrations out of the box for you know, things like ServiceNow and stuff like that, and others don't. So I think that can make some automated testing quite difficult. I think there's definitely things you can do up front to shorten the list of, of potential solutions that you're looking at. But I think at the end of the day, you kind of need to roll your sleeves up and do some PSEs. Yeah. And as a vendor, obviously, I, I would second that saying the best way to test it is just ask for a POC, and most vendors should definitely give a POC. We've definitely done POCs where it, it turned into production very, very quickly. We, we brought in a, a, a firm to run a particular piece of software in our environment, loved it, kept it, turned the POC engagement into an ongoing paid engagement with zero gap in between. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. That's ideal. And something I'm just thinking about that as well, so... I don't know how much you outsource to like an MSP or an MSSP for different initiatives. I'm sure there's definitely a piece of it that you do, but for the broader industry, I'm sure a lot, there's, I mean, there's a massive market for MSPs out there. How much do you think CISOs or other, other folks should just rely on the MSPs to do the vendor evaluation and come back and say, Hey, here's what we found. Here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. Or here's what we think we can do for you. And that way that relieves part of the headache of you having to sift through all this. Yeah, I think there's definitely some kind of pre-canned relationships, I guess, if you will. So we've recently gone through a process of of doing a a vendor selection process for a security service provider, looking at options in, in that place, that space in the industry, if you will. And you talk to companies like Dell, obviously, they've got some preconceived ways of delivering their particular solution, IBM the same, Verizon the same, et cetera, et cetera. You look big and small across a managed security service provider landscape, and you'll see some consistency in the technologies, but you'll see quite a variety of stuff as well. And I think asking some of those folks to to deviate from their plan, they might come with a particular network-based security tool that, that that's what they know, that's all their analysts are trained on, they want to put that in the environment. Asking them to be flexible can kind of 
throw a bit of a wrench in their, in their plan occasionally. I think, I think some of the more successful vendors are going to have to have that flexibility because they're not walking into a completely clean environment. They're not walking into a, a brand new build. They're walking into a company that's had a security program for a long time and they've made a decision to, or are making a decision to add additional horsepower, grow the maturity, add additional capability, that kind of thing. Maybe moving from five days a week support to 24-7. You're bringing in a vendor to augment an existing security team or, or network or something like that. So I think a bit of flexibility in that space is always good. I think the ones that are going to be more successful in the future are going to be the ones that can understand that things do need to change. They can't just come in with a with a menu system and say, you know, this is the template, this is how we do things. And I'm starting to see a bit more of that, you know, going through this process. As I said, we talked to quite a few vendors that will say, well, let's have a look at your environment first, see where the gaps are, see, see where we need to plug things in. Yeah. And I'm seeing, you know, the old, I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, the, the adage was kind of vendor depth and breadth. Right. Basically, we don't know what we need, but buy everything, sometimes buy four of everything. And basically, as long as you mm-hmm. bought a bunch of tools, you figured you were safe. I think now people yeah. are getting a lot smarter and wiser, realizing that it doesn't make sense to buy four locks for the same door when the window right next to the door is wide open and they can still get in. And mm-hmm. so they're being a little smarter now mm-hmm. about analyzing tools and the ROI of the tools that they not only have bought, but also where they should invest next, ideally for whatever has the best risk reduction for them because it's sort of the best way to manage what you can in security because you can't ever be 100% safe. You just got to sort of manage whatever amount of risk the board or the, the C-suite has said they're willing to, to tolerate. And so with that, I see a lot of folks getting rid of some vendors in the space and being a little more selective of who they bring in. And maybe this goes back to a piece that you kind of talked to a little bit earlier about the, the ecosystem that you're, you're looking for and kind of excited about. But I, I would mm-hmm. agree in the sense that I see consolidation and integration being a massive push in the short term, but also in the long term of having vendors play nicely together, but also make it where everything sort of talks and and works together in the sense that you don't have to be buying 80 tools all doing 80 different things and sometimes having redundancies in there. And so if we kind of look at that, thinking that's where you are envisioning the, the industry going as well, what do you see as being the horizon two years out, five years out, as where you think as a CISO, your toolbox of tools is going to look like and, or just what do you, what would you like it to look like? That's a really good question. I think you know, putting on the, the glasses to look into the future is, is always an interesting conversation. I think there's always been this concept of vendor diversity. A security program is, is only strong if there's multiple layers of defense and diversity at the different layers and things like that. You know, you're not going to use the same network appliance vendor as you do on the edge and things like that. You, know, you want to have separation of vendors. More and more, though, I'm starting to see consolidation in the industry. You know, there's becoming this almost Swiss army knife kind of vendors where you have a single agent on an endpoint rather than six agents on an endpoint was meeting with a, a group of industry peers and the average endpoint agent running on a laptop or a desktop just for security was in the six to eight range. Some people were higher, some people were lower. But I think seeing more consolidation around EDR solutions, next-gen AV solutions, DLP solutions, you know, those kinds of things, micro-segmentation solutions, putting all that stuff into a single endpoint agent is interesting from a footprint, cost, single vendor, throat-to-choke kind of thing. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of security professionals out there that grew up in that 
era of diversity is best when it comes to security tools and, and layers of defense in depth. I think that does become a bit of a challenge to manage. I think in five years' time, we're going to be forced to consolidate a lot of these tools. I think demand for compute power, demand for simplifying the environment, demand for simplifying the user experience as well. If there's anything that pops up and gives users feedback, it needs to have a consistent look and feel. The DLP tool can't look different to the AV tool, et cetera. So I think we're going to see a lot more consolidation driven down that path. And I think even for businesses internally and business leaders as well, you know, they, they're going to want to see some, at some point, there has to be this horizon where things get easier around security, not harder and not continuing to get harder. You know, I think every time I have a conversation with someone about making yet another investment, they say, well, is this yet another endpoint agent or yet another X kind of thing? At the moment, yes, but we are looking for opportunities for consolidation and things. I think we're also going to see some consolidation in the research companies and conferences and things too. I think where people go to get information, things like Black Hat and, and DEF CON and stuff like that that you talked about, I think having more open dialogues between peers during forums and meetups and things like that. I think old school security people didn't like to talk about security outside of the four walls of their businesses, but I think the next generation of security leaders are, are a lot more open. They're probably almost too connected sometimes, potentially. Yeah, I definitely see that. I mean, even just look at some of the regulations coming out now, making some of these public companies have to disclose information about breaches or about their security postures. And I think even more is going to come out to make the general public and consumers feel safe about doing business with that company, right? And where the data sits. And it almost is going to force mm -hmm. the issue of saying, well, what tools do you use? And do we trust those tools? And are they validated? And on the vendor side, I can see that being an enormous uh, headache of more assessments and validation requirements to go through. But on the consumer end, I can see that the safety and security being looked at as the number one focus for the business and that make you have more business, right? Or create more revenue for you. What yeah. I'm curious though, as well is with cyber and just really kind of security in, in general, not just being an IT problem, but really being a business problem, as we've talked on a couple different times now, you're getting the boards involved, you're getting the C-suite involved. Do you ever today deal with the boards of the top down kind of telling you what tools to be using or what tools to go check out? I think there's definitely some preferences and I think people do obviously talk. I think it's still a little bit abstracted when it gets up to the the very top level folks, the, the CEOs, the compliance officers, those kinds of people. As I've met folks from just at PIMCO, but also at other firms, I think there's they're not quite as familiar with the vendors in the security space, but they will talk about things like, oh, you know, do you do phishing testing? I, I see other vendors and we had a whole conversation about doing phishing testing. You know, they don't talk about a particular solution, but they talk about a concept or a capability. So I think those kinds of conversations are absolutely happening. I know even at PIMCO, we've, we've had a lot of dialogues with non-technical, very senior business professionals about cybersecurity. I think it's becoming something that is a pretty key business risk, I guess, for folks, if you will. It's definitely getting that elevation. And in my 20 years in cybersecurity, I think we always fought bottom up. The first job of a security person was to try and raise the profile of security. And I think now we, we don't need to do that as much anymore. But now we need to have a really good story to tell around what are we doing around security? You know, what are we spending? What are we fixing? What are we preventing? What's the value we're providing to the firm, et cetera? Yeah, if only there was a tool out there to measure the ROI of what we're spending. That's what we need. 
Yeah, do you know anything? Yeah, I might know something, and obviously, hopefully, our listeners know a little bit about it as well. But more education awareness about that concept, as you mentioned, right? As long as the boards and the C-suites understand that that's a concept that's worth pursuing, then I think obviously <clears throat> for us here at Nehemiah, we'll, we'll benefit greatly for that. But at the end, of, I think we're at the at the end of our time here. So I just want to kind of have one parting thought with you, Daniel. Is knowing what you know now through all of your your tenure and experiences. What would be one of the things that you would go back and tell your younger self that you would either change or, or to be on the lookout for and do better if you could talk to your 10 years ago self? Mm, that's a great question. I think I'd probably go back and tell myself just to stay focused as much as I can. You know, this, like we, we talked about, so much noise in the industry from vendors, but even internally, you know, you get pulled in so many different directions every day. It's, it's absolutely imperative to keep focused on the four or five top things that are really going to move the needle. You can never solve every problem every day. Some things just have to be put off to next week. They need to be delegated to someone else or or even just say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy right now. Let's talk about this in a couple of weeks and follow up kind of thing. But do that as a mechanism to keep focus on the on the top agenda items and, and keep those ones moving forward. Brilliant. Daniel, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. I really enjoy our conversations and appreciate you again taking the time to join us today. So we'll... Obviously, find Daniel on the LinkedIn, reach out, great great connection, and, uh, and Daniel, obviously, stay connected with us here, but appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your time with us today, so thanks. Thanks very much, Ryan. I'm, I'm super interested in you know, what you guys are doing and really helping us to keep elevating that conversation and showing the ROI around security. I think this is going to be super exciting in the future. Mm-hmm.